Well, it is, uh, as Alex said, it's a weird, well, it's been a weird week, I suppose, or maybe longer than that, depending on where you live and what part of the world or uh, even this country. It's been a weird Sunday, at least so far today. And as was mentioned, because we've had to make some cancellations to um, extracurricular activities plus our regular worship uh, or class times, it's going to continue feeling a little bit uh, weird. Uh, we'll meet again at this same time, 10 o'clock next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that. We'll reevaluate, uh, we'll decide, or the elders will, and, and let us know what's going to happen with the month of April. It may be that we completely are back to normal, maybe we're doing the same thing, maybe it's a little bit of both, but we'll just have to uh, play it by ear. That's what you can do, you know, you're not in control of these things, so we'll just pray to the God who is, and just let the chips fall where they may, and just work around it. I was thinking about this, though, last night as all these decisions were being made. We were thinking about how it's going to be a little bit different. And how I'm thankful that the Lord structured his kingdom the way he did, where each congregation is autonomous and we can make our own decisions based on our own particular needs in this particular congregation and the community that we're in. Because different congregations in different parts of the world, let's not forget we have brethren everywhere, they're making different decisions based on their situation. Uh, some of them are not able to meet at all, and so we need to be praying for them that they can get back to where they're able to do that uh, as the Lord wills. So we're all in different situations, and so it's a good thing we have autonomy, that we can make the right decisions for us at this location. It's also, it reminds me of, and this is something that uh, I've said for years, and in fact, I'm just going to steal a phrase from Mark Skelton because he kind of took my Christian philosophy, and he condensed it, distilled it down to one very uh, helpful, pithy little saying, uh, do you not like it, or is it, is it wrong, or do you just not like it? That's something he always says. Is it wrong, or do you just not like it? We do things differently sometimes. We do things by, let's, let me flip that. We do things the same way a lot. We are creatures of habit. We like tradition. We like to know it's this time we go for class, and then at this time we have worship. We have this many songs, and then the Lord's Supper, and then a prayer, and then the sermon. Matthew, don't jump on the stage too early. We have a certain ritualized structure to our lives, and there's nothing wrong with that. It becomes wrong when you bind it and you force it, and you try to shove that square peg in a round hole when the circumstances of the moment may not really fit to it. So we're changing things up. And it makes me feel a little weird because my body, my internal you know, mechanism for the way things should be is a little upended. And so my natural impulse is to treat something different as something wrong. I think that's very healthy. It causes us to be more cautious in life. But if we let that control us, <clears throat> then we do things that are different and we stop doing them because we assume they're wrong when they could just be different. And so we're doing things different. We had the Lord's Supper at the first, and I love that Keith, I'm just going to make fun of him for a second, because he would do it to me. He tells everybody, peel it now so you don't make distraction, and then he was the one guy in front of the microphone peeling his in front of everybody so that we could all be distracted. So it's a little bit different, but you know, we're going to survive, we're going to endure, we're still singing the same hymns, we're still studying the same Bible, we're still focusing on the same Jesus, it's just the window dressing is a little bit different, and that's okay, because God is still being praised. We are, despite all that's going on, still worshiping and still following for the month of March the theme that we began a couple of weeks ago, this uh, little series of sermons that Alex and I are in the midst of. We started two weeks ago with a sermon entitled, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And basically the whole series is entitled, a spin off that phrase, Jesus Loves You, Did You Know? And so we talked two weeks ago about how Jesus does love you and this you can know. And then last week, Alex preached 
That's just a continuation of that, the very next logical thing, which is, for the Bible tells me so. You can know Jesus loves you because the true and never has let you down, never has lied to you word of God, spells it out for you in simple detail. And that's exactly what Alex did uh, last week. This week, as you can guess, what the sermon title will be is Little Ones to Him Belong, and then come back next week, 10 o'clock, where Alex finishes the series with a sermon entitled, They Are Weak, But He Is Strong. And there's actually five Sundays. Let me just plug this now while we're, I'm thinking about it. There's actually another Sunday for the month of March. We'll meet at 10 o'clock then as well. Uh, but the series will be done. Instead, we're going to have a day of prayer and a day in the Word, which could not have been more uh, perfectly timed with everything that's going on. So uh, be here for that. That's the plan, Lord willing. But we are going to continue that series this morning. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. I want you to take a good look at the screen behind me and those three pink graphics at the bottom, one of a father holding a daughter's hand as she's looking up to him, another of two siblings holding hands, playing together, and then one of a child being held, a newborn baby. Those are not just randomized pictures. Those have a purpose to the sermon. Those all convey some aspect of being a little one and how it ties into the sermon. As was read by me just a minute ago, uh, the verse to take from this sermon, the, the launching pad, if you will, comes from a conversation between Jesus and his apostles in Matthew chapter 18. As a dispute among them stirs up, this, this argument, I don't know how severe the argument was, I don't know how intense it got, but at some point Jesus heard that they were bickering with each other about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who is going to be the best, I would assume, other than Jesus, the king, under his kinghood, who is going to be the top banana? And so Jesus sees an opportunity to teach his people a lesson in humility. And really, you should read the whole of Matthew 18. It's all about humility and putting your others before yourself and so forth. But just here at the outset, he really lays down the hammer on what kind of person he thinks will be the greatest, or he knows as the king, will be the greatest in his kingdom to come. What I love about this, though, is that Jesus probably, they thought he was going to give them a name. Which of us, perhaps they were thinking, which of you 12 will be the greatest? Will it be Peter? Will it be John? Will it be Andrew? And he doesn't give a name. He doesn't identify a person. He identifies a characteristic. What kind of person will be greatest in the kingdom? What is the king looking for as his ideal citizen is not an adult person who, who bickers over his other adult friends as to who's the best. Instead, he sees a little child, and he brings this child into the midst of them. And he doesn't say, this child is the greatest or will be the greatest. He says, unless you humble yourselves, and unless you are converted to become like a little child, then you won't even be in the kingdom of heaven. You won't be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You won't belong to the kingdom of heaven. If you cannot humble yourself and be converted to become like a little child, you don't stand a chance, period, full stop. So what is it about little children? What is it about little ones that my Lord, when he saw this child, immediately thought to himself, okay, here's, here it is. Here's the poster child. Here is exactly, this is the object lesson I was looking for. You see this little child, this is exactly what I'm thinking about when I think about the ideal citizen of my kingdom. What is it about a child that made him make that connection? That's the sermon this morning. I have just three simple points. And they answer that question, but they also discuss the theme of the series and of this particular sermon title, Little Ones to Him Belong. Why? Why do little ones belong to him? Well, you know, you're not my phone, you're Alex's phone. So, here, 
Is this yours or is it Seth's? Catch it. All right, so what is it about little children that drew Jesus' attention and made him think, ah, here's my poster child? What is it about little children that naturally we know, because we sing it, they belong to him? Well, let's look at three simple things. First of all, little ones revere their parents. Now, I said little ones. I didn't say teenagers. I said little ones. When they're still little and they're still developing and they're still forming and they're still entirely dependent on their parents. Listen, we make fun of teens. I'll do it again before the sermon's over and before all mine are done. We'll make fun of teens all day long because they're so bitter and they take everything so seriously. It's so fun to make fun of them. But let's just think about this for a second because the number one target for attacking a teenager is their independent streak. You're too independent. You're too rebellious. You're too going on your own. You don't listen. You don't obey. You don't listen. You don't listen. You don't listen. Why do we do it? Why is it that the case? Let's have a little sympathy. Let's remember that God gave them that independent streak. God gave them that desire to go on their own because he knows in a couple of years they'll be out on their own. And he doesn't want them constantly going back to mom and dad, seeking to be guided by them, seeking to have to rely on them and constantly have to lean on them. He wants them to be independent so that independent streak starts to form in the teenage years. It's our jobs as parents to mold that independent streak to be on your own with a reliance on God and to trust that your parents are always there for you when needed. So, yeah, we make fun of them because they don't listen and they go on their own way, but that impulse is given to them by God. But let's go back before teenagers. Let's just talk about little children. I've said this many times. I think I preached a sermon on parenthood last summer, and I said this, but I'll say it again because it's very relevant here. A child's first impression a child's first impulse about who the higher power is, their first idea that something bigger than them exists, is when they see their mom and dad. The first voice a child hears is whose voice? Their mother, probably singing to them or talking to them. The second voice they hear is the voice of their father, very usually their father, whose lips are pressed against their belly button as he talks to them. Or is that, was, that, was that just me? That is the first, the first indicator that someone other than them is alive, is mom and dad. And then when they're born and they see what? The giant face of a mom and dad smiling down at them. And as they grow and they develop, everybody is humongous. Everybody is big. And there is this big, booming voice from above telling them, don't touch that. You can't eat that. You can't have that. Give that back. You are their first impression because their little minds can't conceive of an invisible, eternal God. But they can see your beginning and your ending, and it's a much bigger thing than they are. And so they can conceive of something bigger than them. And so it is our responsibility as parents to guide them and mold them and to get them to appreciate and respect a higher power, which you are to them. You are the God of that house. Train your children to respect the God of the universe. Little children who are so properly trained will grow up revering, looking up to, having respect for their parents. That is what God sees in a little child. I think that's what Jesus saw, among other things, in that little child of Matthew 18 that made him think, here's the poster child for my kingdom. A little one is the proper citizen of the kingdom because a little one looks up to, listens, and obeys his parents. Here's the verse, Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear, the King James says. Your Bible might just say revere or have respect to. Same idea. Fear the Lord, you his saints. You're his people. You're his sons and daughters. 
Look up to him with godly reverence and with fear at his tremendous hand that could smack you so that you don't touch the hot stove of life. Have fear for the Lord, you are his saints, for there is no want in them that have respect for him. Psalm 23, I know you know this. How does Psalm 23 begin? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What is David really saying there? David is saying, because God shepherds me, because God guides me, and God leads me, and God provides for me, I choose not to want. He's not saying, I have no wants. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. My wants are taken care of as they come. Whenever I am in want, God provides. And so whatever God has provided, I don't step out of the sheepfold and say, yeah, I have all that, but I also want I'm still wanting. Why haven't I gotten? No, the Lord is my shepherd, so I'm not going to want anymore. God has provided for me, and because of that, I look up to him. I look to him. I revere him like a little one ought to do. What does Jesus see in a child that makes him say, this is what you need to be, be converted like a little child? A little one reveres his parents. Revere your father in heaven. Second one, little one's love their siblings i know little ones will fight and little ones will bicker and argue and they'll push and they'll shove and they'll steal toys and they'll run away and they'll do all kinds of mean things because they're learning how to be a person in society they forget all that when there's a pandemic and it's time to buy toilet paper but i'll get to that in just a second that's coming give me 30 seconds i'm getting there but i still a little child knows that this other little child is a special person and it doesn't have to be a sibling Little children are so used to looking up at these big giant monsters telling them what they can and can't do that when they see another one on their level, they're just so happy to see another little child. It doesn't matter what their race is, what their skin color is, what language they speak. Little children just love little children because they're on their level, literally. Little ones love their siblings. And I think Jesus saw that characteristic in them and thought, well, here's what my kingdom is going to be comprised of. People who love each other. Here's your verse. Beloved, let us love. We talked about this first week of the year, if you remember. We had all the congregations here. This was our scripture. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And no man has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. In other words, if we don't demonstrate love this away, oh, I love God, I have reverence for God, great, good. But if I don't demonstrate love in this direction, then how is anyone going to know what the love of God looks like? How is anyone, because no one was there at the cross. You didn't see Jesus die. You didn't see the demonstration of God's love. How do you know when I demonstrate God's love, when I show God's love, then people see God's love in me? Now, let's read that again. Beloved, let us buy only one package of toilet paper at Walmart. Yeah, it's funny, but have you seen some of the things that some people are doing, buying like 50 packages of toilet paper. When people who have, and it's not me, I'm not just complaining, but people who have zero packages are desperate and people are hoarding and storing it up for themselves because they're only thinking about themselves. Do you have any love for anyone else? We all need to wipe. Let's have some love for other people. So let's do some good old-fashioned applying. Let us 
share toilet paper with one another. For sharing toilet paper with one another is of God. And everyone that shares toilet paper with each other is born of God and knows God. No man has seen God at any time. But if we share toilet paper with each other, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. If a man say, oh yeah, I'll share toilet paper. And then he gets to Walmart and there's only one package left and he has a package at home and this poor old lady has no packages and he doesn't share that toilet paper, then he doesn't know God. For God is a God who shares. Right? It's silly, it's stupid, but people are animals out there. They're not reading their Bibles. Jesus saw a little child and he thought, well, here's a little child that when push comes to shove will share his toys. Here's a little child that sees someone who doesn't look exactly like them or talk exactly like them or think exactly like them, but they're on their level and they just naturally want to help. They're just naturally loving and kind and good. That's what my kingdom is comprised of. Be like a little child because little ones love their siblings. Third and last point. I'm almost done. Little ones are born. Well, so are all of us. I mean, we've all been born. Yeah, but they were just born. They're still newborn. They're still fresh. They're still pure. They're still uncorrupted by the mania of the world where the first sign of a problem, everyone just immediately goes, it's self-serving, it's whatever's good for me, get mine and you can you're, you're, get lost. That's not Christianity. What Jesus saw in this little child is someone who's still pure, still fresh, still uncorrupted. And he said, this is like what's in my kingdom. People who are born again. Because his kingdom message is not preached to little children. The message of the kingdom is not needed other than just for informational purposes in the ears of little children. Who needs the message of the kingdom is an adult. The kind of people whose inclination by society's training is to push and shove and get their way. And they need to be taught to be changed, to be converted and become like a little child again. Because a little child is freshly born. And Jesus says, the citizens of my kingdom are just born again. Now, if, that, if you've never read that, and you hear that, and you don't know what I'm talking about, you might think, well, that sounds impossible. How can I? I'm, I'm 30. I was born in 84. I'm 35, 36. I'm an old man now. I'm an old man based on what I thought old men were 10 years ago. I'm still young now that I'm there. But I'm 36 years old or whatever it is. How am I supposed to be born? Am I supposed to... Get back in my mother's womb and be born? And you think, well, that's a silly question. No one would ever ask that until you find this doctor, Nicodemus, this scholar of the law, who asked that exact question in John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. As Jesus is discussing spiritual things with this doctor of the law, this great leader of the Jews, Nicodemus, he says, Verily I say to you, except a man be born again, he's not entering into the kingdom of God. Very similar language to Matthew 18. Unless you be converted... You're not entering the kingdom of heaven. Same idea, just different words. So unless you're born again, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, who took things very literally, thought, how can a man be born again? How is he supposed to get in his mother's womb a second time and be born? Gotcha, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth that comprises two components. Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he will not enter into the kingdom of God. And it's so amazing how simple that conversation is to follow from A to B to C and how many people willingly miss that conversation. They don't get that conversation. They deliberately carry on Nicodemus' ignorance and ignore Jesus' clarification. 
my own dad as I'm trying to explain to him about baptism. And I teach him about water and spirit. He, well, water is when you're born of your mother. The man just said, I'm not talking about physical birth. It's not that kind of birth. You can't get back in your mother's womb and be born. This is a new birth after you've already been born. A second birth that involves water and spirit. You must be born again. And that again birth involves a physical and a spiritual component. A physical, not physical born, but a physical component like if I could reach back here and splash it, water and spirit. You must be born again if you want to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gives you the parameters for how to be born again by being baptized. Mark 16, 16. So if you are not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you are not a part of his spiritual family, you are not yet a newborn little one, you don't belong to him. You still belong to the sinful, evil world. So why not shed the world? Why not be done with the world and embrace Jesus Christ and be a little one that belongs to him. Little Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. Because little ones revere, obey their God in heaven. Little ones love and look for ways to help other people. And little ones belong to him because they are freshly born, brand new, again. There's a course to Jesus loves me. And I almost gave it away what I was going to say here two weeks ago when I last spoke. Um, because we talked about a little bit of the, the verses we don't sing anymore. Those verses that, in, that talk very explicitly about a child who is dying and who is leaning on the, his or her faith in Christ for um, security and for comfort. And we don't sing those parts because it doesn't have that kind of hymn element. But that is the history of the song. And in fact, the writers of the song had that in mind. I have it written down her name. Anna and uh, Susan Warner were sisters. Anna Bartlett Warner and Susan Warner. We're authors of children's stories and of some children's hymns, and Anna was writing a children's book, and she needed her sister to incorporate a song that one of the characters in the book uh, would sing to another who was dying, a little child dying in the book. And so she pins, for the purposes of the book, the words, Jesus loves me, this I know, the whole song, some of which we read a couple of weeks ago. Well, a few months after the book was published, uh, William Bradbury, who composed Just As I Am and... Um, I have it written down. Sweet Hour of Prayer. Read the book. Saw the lyrics and wrote the music to go with it. And then added to the tune, which we now sing as Jesus Loves Me, a simple little refrain that we sing. And it's so simple. It's so easy. How do you train a child? Short, simple sentences said over and over and over. How do you train a person to know that Jesus loves them? You just drill it in their head over and over. And if they ever doubt it, you just say, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So if you ever doubt it, if you ever wonder, if you're ever in the throes of physical or spiritual or emotional illness, and you wonder, does God still care? Does Jesus still love? You just sing this song. Yes, Jesus loves me. You're a little one who belongs to him. The Bible tells you so. You can know. Jesus loves me. We have one more sermon in the series. We hope that you'll come back next week to hear Alex uh, bring it to a close. But if we don't make it to next week, if the animals at Walmart kill us all, if that's the end of it all, how are we going to go to heaven if today is our day? Are we go how are we going to stand at judgment, I should say? How are we going to go to judgment if today is our day? Are we going to go to judgment in front of a God whom we revere, surrounded by siblings whom we've loved, a, as a newborn babe in Christ? Or are we going to go old 
and stubborn and hateful and self-serving and ultimately condemned. The choice is ours. The possibility of salvation has been bought by the blood of Christ. Will you take him up on his offer? Be saved by him this morning. If you will, then please come right now. If you are a Christian but you've fallen away and you need to be restored, now is your time. Please come right now as we stand and sing.